chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Welcome to the State of Cannabis, bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. Advocates and analysts will join us to discuss the ongoing path to reform and legislation. Now, the State of Cannabis, with your host, Dave Inman. Welcome to the State of Cannabis, keeping you, our listeners, on the pulse of what's happening in cannabis today. I'm your host, Dave Inman. With us tonight, we have Larissa Bolivar, uh, Executive Director of the Cannabis Consumers Coalition. Larissa, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. So tell us a little bit about the Cannabis Consumers Coalition and what they do. So we are a nonprofit organization founded in April 2014 to be a consumer advocacy and protection organization and provide individual consumers with a collective voice in the growing cannabis industry to help set standards that are consumer-based and not so heavily industry-focused, which is kind of the direction that we've been heading in. So we're, you know, an activist organization as well as an educational organization. You know, we also do a little bit of lobbying um, on consumer-specific issues. Um, And then, you know, we do consumer stuff like focus groups and product testing and product reviews. Those are always really fun. So, and we've been growing really rapidly. We have members all over the world now in just a short time span and over, or we just hit actually today 9,000 likes on our Facebook page. And, and that's, since, uh, that's since April of 2014? Yeah, all organic because Facebook won't let me boost because of having cannabis in my name. <laughs> and and what, how yeah. cool is this? We hit today is the ninth day of the ninth month and we hit 9,000 likes today. Oh man, it's you know it. it I, people like to say it comes in threes, but now nah, probably comes in nines. In so nine. looking, looking at your website, it's a beautiful website, and, and you, you guys can go there at uh, cannabisconsumer.org. And yeah. you have a unique backstory. And actually, I'd like to say it's unique, but it's probably not as unique as many would like to believe. What drove uh-huh. you into getting into and starting this type of an organization? Well, I have 14 years in the movement as a whole. I started out as an activist, as a caregiver, um, and then a patient, but, you know, primarily a consumer. Um, But when I moved in Colorado, I moved to Colorado in 2001 with my ex-husband as medical marijuana refugees, and when we arrived, we noticed that there was no safe access for cannabis, that, you know, you had to go to the street to dealers to get pot. And so we teamed up with... A local activist by the name of Ken Gorman, who was the founder of the 420 rally, and that's the those are the activists that were responsible for getting Amendment 20, uh, not, you know, noticed and eventually passed. And so we started helping patients get recommendations from doctors. We found doctors who would write recommendations. We helped patients find caregivers and started working towards safe access. And then in 2000. Well, about 2004, we were always dispensing, but we started dispensing publicly. We were having meetings out of a church in 2003 and 2004 and parts of 2005 where we were having like weekly meetings and then helping patients obtain medicine. And then in 2005, we opened a dispensary in Denver, which was the first in Denver 
some argue the first in state, another one opened and like officially and like filed with the state, you know, operating as a dispensary, but not license. We couldn't license as dispensaries then because it was before 1284. So we obtained sales licenses, but there was another one in Colorado Springs, but our storefront was erected before then. So it was really out of need to help patients, not trying to like be the first or do anything like that. By that point, we had had like 300 patients that we were trying to help or caregivers that we were working with that were helping them. So that's my like background. Like, And then from that, I, I dissolved that in 2008 and then just kind of, I went back to school, got a couple degrees and still stayed working with some lawmakers and activists kind of on the, you know, on the back end, not so much on the front lines because I was a little burned out. And then I moved back to the D.C. area where I'm from in 2008, and I moved back here to Colorado in 2013. And after running the No on AA campaign, fighting against the taxes that they were proposing for marijuana, particularly and how, how much were taxes, those taxes? What were those tax were rates? Ridiculous. Just in case uh, people for, uh, forgot what those were. Well, and, and it's a really important part, like history, in terms of the consumer coalition because. Our sales tax is 10% on cannabis that can be raised up to 15% arbitrarily by lawmakers. And then on top of that, we have a 15% excise tax. You know, the consumer ends up paying that as well. And so I'm okay with having the cannabis industry taxed like the alcohol industry, and it's not. And so that's, for me, I thought was disingenuous to consumers. And then when I started going to the Capitol, because, you know, activism is in my roots, I noticed that it was really heavily industry-focused in terms of, like, representation for just cannabis movement as a whole. And so I, with a, you know, along with some friends, talked about the need of, you know, something like an activist-type organization specifically for consumers that aren't too corporate. You know what I mean? Like something that's more organized, not necessarily like a union, but something where it is a, a collective of people working together. Like a chamber of commerce or something. Like a chamber of commerce or, but yeah, but you know, there are cannabis chambers of commerce, but it's all industry. So, you know, kind of like a consumer report, but you know, more active than that, like picketing. And, you know, we picketed one of the businesses here in Colorado that got in trouble for using unapproved pesticides. So, we do have an activism roots and, you know, establishments. So my background just kind of led me to this. It just kind of, you know, it seemed the next step from being a caregiver and fighting for patients' rights and doing all of that and then coming to this point in the industry to ensure that, you know, not just patients but everybody has a voice in the new cannabis industry as regulations are being set. Well, you know, I, I would say that some people feel that they don't have a voice often in this uh, emerging market, and uh, often they feel that they're being swallowed up by the uh, the people with more money. You know, it, it's one of those double-edged swords. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started utilizing cannabis, I, I remember, you know, those paths through the uh, the neighborhood, you know, puffing on a joint, passing a yeah. big old bushy bush. And oh, saying, my God, don't I you would wish be that was- so paranoid doing that. Don't you wish that was all weed? You know, <laughs> I mean, everybody always said it. You know, it was yeah. one of those cliched moments. And this was in California. So nobody nobody cared about cannabis, you know, for the last oh. 30 years. They just haven't. They would just, you know, basically make you step it out or, you know, toss it. Or they'd take it and tell you to leave. 
Um, so they, they don't really care about that. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I, I would always dream of that moment when I could just run down to, you know, my local Rite Aid or, or Circle K or 7-Eleven or whatever your corner convenience store is and pick up a pack of joints. And I would say that maybe that was just a, a misguided look to a degree. That probably is another 20 or 30 years out, if at all. And it'll probably wind up being controlled for another 80 years, uh, heavily controlled, as opposed to some of the other markets that we're in. But at the end of the day, you know, that was always the dream was just, you know, strolling down without a care in the world and, you know, picking up something that might as well have been, you know, like I always like to refer to as, as my coffee. You know, nothing mm. more unique than that, just simply that. Larissa, we're going to take a, a quick break. When we get back, Larissa Bolivar, uh, Executive Director of the Cannabis Consumers Coalition. We'll be right back with you. Stay tuned for more State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com when we return. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> More flavor. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem, so I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines, welcome back to the State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Once again, here's Dave Inman. Welcome to the State of Cannabis. I'm your host, Dave Inman. With us tonight, we have Larissa Bolivar. Larissa, we were just talking about your kind of your roots getting into uh, this very activist, intensive forefront that you've assembled April of last year, as a matter of fact. Larissa, thanks for coming on the show. We were just mentioning, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the being swallowed up by the, the almighty dollar. And I wanted to get your feedback on that question. Well, Dave, you know, it's really interesting. I was having this conversation with a good friend last night about this very issue and how the cannabis industry is evolving into the, the types of industries that a lot of Americans are frustrated about, you know, the, with rulings like Citizens United giving corporations more power than the individual voice and then Princeton uh, about this, the, actually the same time, the same 
time frame that I launched the Consumer Coalition announced that the United States was officially an oligarchy. They, without a doubt. Without, without a, a doubt. doubt. Yeah. And so, and, you know, they did statistical analysis and basically the individual has zero influence with lawmakers now. And so it is true. And you're seeing it in the cannabis industry. And I'm dealing with that firsthand with the pesticides issue. I've got the lawmakers that are listening more to industry and then being quoted in the newspaper saying that lawmakers and industry care about consumers. I'm like, wait a minute, guys, you know, what happened to this including consumers thing? They, in the beginning, we, all, we were all working together. And so the influence is really strong. And right now, like with, the, for example, the pesticide issue where, and fungicide issue where Colorado just had all these plants put on hold, in Denver, the Dan Roland, who is a city official working with Ashley Kilroy, who is the mayor's appointed marijuana czar, is allowing people to sell their plants after they test under a certain amount of parts per million of mycobutanol because that's what's acceptable for food. Not even taking account that people don't dab and smoke asparagus or or <laughs> kale or grapes. You know what I mean? Like, seriously. Mycobutanol is a chemical in Eagle 20, and that is actually not approved for tobacco. You know, I've had one guy, he was, like, stalking me on my Facebook. Do you even know what you're talking about? Tobacco only takes 45 days to grow, and I'm like, oh, my God. But I had to, like, call in one of the scientists who, who reached out to me about this whole issue after I got the names of the violators, the pesticide violators. You know, I have my own scientist that I'm working with. So when he reached out, you know, this guy is, like, stalking me and, like, bashing me on Facebook. And the scientist is like, you know, here's everything. Like, here's the data. Like, stop bothering her. Like, she's a consumer advocate. I'm the scientist. You know what I mean? Like, really. <laughs> but, he was, but the thing is, is that tobacco does take longer to grow and than 45 days. And, there, and arguably, there's also the autoflower strains of cannabis that have short growing periods from 45 days on. So the thing is, is that mycobutanol is not approved for tobacco because you would have to to, to make it safe because you're smoking it and it's during pyrolysis. And here's the thing that the, nobody's mentioning in the media at all. And I think, I don't know why they don't want to scare people, I guess. I don't know the reason, but I'm assuming that's what it is. But mycobutanol turns to hydrogen cyanide during pyrolysis. And pyrolysis is a process of heating that happens after combustion. Which is undoubtedly going to happen. Heated. Which right, is undoubtedly going to happen when you're when you're uh, you know consuming cannabis. You're more than absolutely yep. going to to burn it or vape it, but it's going to be heated. You know, it's going to be um, heated. And you know, some people are like, oh, don't what? Don't you even know what pyrolysis is? You know, very patronizing. You know, dumb girl, whatever. But you know, just very patronizing. And I'm like, yes, of course I know what pyrolysis is. You know what I mean? Like. You know, and then they're like, it's not combustion. I'm like, exactly. And then science is trying to argue that some of these chemicals get burned off during, during the combustion process and pyrolysis process, but not all of them do. Some of them do maintain residuals. So what we're pushing for with the Consumer Coalition is to treat cannabis as its own industry and do a study and study these pesticides in the manner of how we consume cannabis and in the amounts that we consume it. 
I mean, I think that's uh, what we've been lacking all along is testing. I mean, whether it's simply for the consumption value or 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 the the mind altering value. I mean, we've we've had you know cannabis in our pharmacopoeia for you know thousands of years yeah. and uh, utilized it all the way up until about eighty years ago, um, and it was pretty much in everything that uh, was medicine. Pretty much everything. It could be mixed with cocaine. It could be mixed with alcohols. Both uh, are medicines as well um, for specific reasons. Uh, but certainly, you know, a whole plethora of different uh, herb- uh, herbalist remedies that, uh, you know, sometimes were good, sometimes were bad, which is why we needed the FDA so we could kind of figure out how, you know, we should be consuming and ha- and what the overall effects are. There was a, an old story um, back from the, the snake oil salesman days, you know, the covered wagons. And this guy was <clears throat> he was uh, traveling around and selling a weight loss pill and uh, and he would you know sell it to people people would take it and they'd lose weight you know it was like a miracle weight loss pill um, problem was is that shortly thereafter they'd start dying and uh, it turns out uh, you know it was tapeworm and oh, uh, that's that's why the FDA was started so I mean there's there's a definitive reason why we have those types of organizations the Absolutely. problem is is that they have their heads so far up there well you know yeah. Um, at this point that they, they, they can't seem to, to break away from the cycles that they're in. And without a doubt, we, we need testing. We need to know so much more than what we actually do. Um, you know, we're starting to see these, these wonderful studies, you know, about the, the terpenes and flavonoids and how they uh, also interact uh, with the, uh, the, the, the THCs and the CBDs and CBDNs and, and all these other beautiful facets of the, the cannabis plant. But we don't know enough yet. And, you know, we, we have to, just like you were saying, we have to really push um, both the testing and the education and removing the stigma. You know, I think those yeah. are the, the, that's the, the triune right there that gets us legalization. And one of the things that I see, you know, I, I, I talk to people all across the country, and one of the things that I see almost statically throughout is that there's always a bit of animonious or, uh, you know, an animosity that uh, seems to occur from two differing coalition groups, both wanting to end the war on cannabis. Right. And my, my theory in the back of my mind always is that if we gain some ground, we've gained some ground. And then right. there's others that will simply say, no, that's not enough ground. We're not going to get any ground until we get a little more ground, which seems counterintuitive to me. Sorry, I tend to go off on tangents from, from time to time. I'm sure we touched on two different topics there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but essentially, it's, the, it's those three, that, that three-horned approach, I think, that... That's uh, it's really important, though. And, and sorry to cut you off, but just to say that, no, you're not really going on a tangent, because one of the issues at hand in Colorado um, and statewide or nationwide that the industry is pushing for is, but here in Colorado, we've passed a law that individual consumers can't go to a licensed lab to test their marijuana. Only licensed businesses can. So people are, then the counter argument to that I'm hearing is, well, then go to another lab. Well, who's going to open up a lab to test marijuana if they can't get licensed or if they're not going to be licensed? I mean, like, it's very frustrating. And so, you know, we are not seeing regulations that are being done on behalf of the consumer. Whether it's, you know, edibles. Edibles is more, you know, related to fear. There's a demand. I mean, I can understand, you know, some of the reasoning and not, you know, marketing things towards children. But, you know, adults eat. I mean, I'm 39 years old and I, every once in a while, will buy Laffy Taffy from Summer 11. <laughs> <laughs> like, adults eat candy. So it's Without like. A doubt. 
And, you know, that was always the that beautiful, wonderful approach for, you know, some of our, our elderly uh, patients that uh, were just about to emerge into the, the cannabis market. And we're like, well, you know, these, these candies, you know, this is the way to go. You don't have to smoke it. It's a lot easier on you. And that was, you know, one of the cruxes, I think, that almost seemed to hinder the, the, the movement to a degree was when these old people would take, you know, like we we're just mentioning, you know, a thousand milligrams at a time and a first timer taking a thousand milligrams, I don't think they're going to do it again after that. Um, Larissa, we got to take a quick break. When we get back, State of Cannabis. We'll be right back with you, folks. Stay tuned for more State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com when we return. Your connection to quality cannabis insurance services is spelled K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R. That's Karcher Insurance. We have worked with ventures like cannabis for over 60 years. We're proud to represent over 50 companies with tailor-made cannabis plans for owners just like you to insure your product, your plants, and your pursuits. K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R spells out their full-service insurance services, ranging from commercial to bonds, to personal, from life to health, and more. Contact the team at karcherinsurance.com and let our experience work for you. That's K-A-E-R-C-H-E-R insurance.com. Contact Karen and the team at Karcher Insurance at 1-844-421-3560. That's 844-421-3560. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on mjwellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out mjwellness.com today. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the, the, the king, right? You just have, you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. (laughs) The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines, welcome back to the State of Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Once again, here's Dave Inman. Welcome to the State of Cannabis. I'm your host, Dave Inman. Uh, with us tonight, we have Larissa Bolivar, uh, Executive Director of the Cannabis Consumers Coalition. We've been talking about a bunch of different topics. One that I really would like to touch on is, is one that you're currently, uh, you're a plaintiff in a court case. And this particular court case is for uh, veterans and abuse survivors. And uh, you guys are currently uh, suing Colorado for banning marijuana as a PTSD treatment. Now, thinking that this is, you know, how can I put it, the land of the free um, where you can smoke cannabis regardless, this is specifically for a medical condition in Colorado, and they said no on PTSD. 
So tell us about this struggle you have. This has been actually a long struggle here in Colorado. The first attempt to get stress conditions and depression in general was in 2006, and I was part of the team that did that. I was diagnosed with PTSD myself in 2002, and so I was working with my psychiatrist, who was also one of the first doctors to write recommendations for patients for other ailments publicly because doctors were being threatened by the DEA back then. But he knew, obviously he knew I had PTSD, he diagnosed me for it, but he was also treating me with SSRIs. But, I mean, he basically knew that the cannabis was helping me, and so he agreed to support writing a petition to get cannabis accepted onto the medical marijuana registry, and we thought that for sure it would happen. We had plenty of studies then, and a lot of them were out of Israel, but, you know, we didn't think that, I mean, there are some U.S. studies, but we didn't think that it would be a big deal based on what the requirements are or what the requirements were for submitting a petition. We thought we met all the requirements. We wrote it for stress conditions so that it could also include, like, other anxiety disorders because Dr. Muller, his name is Dr. David Muller, he thought that, you know, we should include others because he believed that cannabis was effective for those conditions as well and so and also depression. But that didn't work. So, and that, and the pushback then was uh, from the American psychological and psychiatric communities, the, you know, associations and doctors. Um, so do you think that maybe there was just too many conditions um, or, or potential well, uh, variances in the condition that maybe uh, there was more pushback on the on the bill than there should have been? I mean, when you think about it, it is, it is Colorado. I mean, we New Mexico passed PTSD. Arizona did for a minute, and then they overturned it, and, and we're back in the battle, it sounds like, uh, on PTSD. But uh, for the most part, it seems like PTSD is one that's been you know fairly easy to get uh, as a medical condition. And just it's mind-boggling to me that uh, in Colorado, you know, they were early adopters in the medical, the medical cannabis, as well as as obviously recreational. One of the the first, it just it makes it, it kind of highlights for me, honestly. Colorado has a very again, sorry for but the history of medical marijuana policy in Colorado has a shady history in general. Just as it starts, when the signatures were collected. Just to let you know, like, there is a lot of, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word corruption or collusion, but, you know, the medical community and and the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment have a really tight relationship that's years old, decades old, you know, and, and then here comes medical marijuana. And when the people of Colorado, the citizens of Colorado, signed petitions and then the activists turned the petitions in, the lady who was responsible at the Secretary of State's office for turning in the petitions never turned them in. They were found after she died. So <laughs> that's how, oh, that's Colorado. Colorado has never had real leadership in terms of government. So wait, are you saying Governor Hickenlooper wasn't a real leader? No, well, then he wasn't, <laughs> then he, well, when was he mayor? He was mayor, he was mayor when I had my dispensary in 2005 and 2006. I don't remember who was right before him, which I should. But, no, the, you know, the, the Denver Police Department was awful with medical marijuana patients. The Colorado treated medical marijuana patients terribly across the board. I mean, there were elderly cancer patients that were being put in jail for, you know, plants, six plants. So, you know, the Colorado Department of Public Health didn't even really want the responsibility of having to run a marijuana 
operation. So, or but registry. it got so better, though, right? It, it hasn't the been... The medical well, got better there. I have friends that, uh, you know, they actually left Arizona to move to Colorado prior to their the medical or the, the recreational laws just because it was easier for them to, to be, you know, caregivers. Well, and the thing is, is that the, the reason why it's better, it's because it's not our policymakers, it's the, the activists and the people and some of the businesses and advocacy groups that are working hard. I would say your state is minds. the. I'd say your state is only as good as the people. You know exactly, and, and it's and, taken and, a lot of work to do that. And with and, this PTSD issue, to answer your question, it did seem like I, I would agree that you know the petition was a bit broad. I think that was part of prob- one of the problems. So Brian Vicente of Vicente Cedarburg and one of the framers of the Amendment sixty four submitted another petition specifically for PTSD, and that failed. So there's no rhyme or reason, right? So we can't do anything but assume that, you know, there's just politics at play and it's a relationship between the medical community and, you know, particularly the psychiatric and psychological communities who, you know, first of all, are prescribing SSRIs and other drugs for PTSD off-label anyhow. So it's not like they even know it works. You know what you know, I mean? We, we got to stop so, the flow of pharmaceuticals. I mean, we, yeah. we absolutely have to. And, and you know, what you were doing is exactly what we need done. You know, we need to, to push, you know, the envelope with uh, with what it is that cannabis is and what it brings to the table. We're about out of time. Larissa, I could keep going oh, on and on yeah. and on with, with this. Uh, you're, you're a wonderful guest and uh, your plethora of information. Thank you so much for what you do. Just to dive back into Colorado, uh, you guys are a shining beacon of hope. We're all trying to be just like you. <laughs> well, hopefully we can, you know, get it together with getting PTSD added on. But yeah, I wish I could. Right. Have go- I should have gone on more about that more specifically. But well, you, you know, know what? This- we can definitely do. We can uh, direct our listeners back over to your website so they can learn more about uh, the Cannabis Consumer Coalition. Again, that's the CannabisConsumer dot org. So C A N N A B I S. C-O-N-S-U-M-E-R dot org. Again, this was uh, Larissa uh, Bolivar, Executive Director of the Cannabis Consumer Coalition. Larissa, thank you so much for being on the show. We're definitely going to have to have you back on the show and uh, definitely keep up with, with what's going on in Colorado. Again, thank you for joining us on this edition of The State of Cannabis. You can download past episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also, you can follow the show on Facebook and Google+. I'm your host, Dave Inman. We'll talk with you next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.